I know it's Christmas, but I want to take you back to New Year's, 19, I have no idea. I don't know how old I was. I know it was pre-youth group. I've spent a lot of time in youth ministry. I love it. It's my job. I grew up as a youth pastor's kid, but it was before I was joining my family or on a night that I, that I wasn't joining my family for their New Year's Eve activities, which at the time would have been probably going to Knott's Berry Farm for the Christian concerts that were taking place. Instead, I was with my friend Nathan Lonsdale. We were in Whittier, California, and kids, you get to say something one time. You don't get to talk the whole service, but on the count of three, I want you to say how old you are. I'm going to be really impressed if somebody says 95 because they still identify as a kid. That tied into this morning's service too, but on three, say your age, and that's how old I was because I don't remember. Okay, ready? One, two, three. All right, sounds good. So I was your age. I was not yet in junior high. We didn't do the whole London New Year's Eve or East Coast New Year's Eve. We only did actual California New Year's Eve. So that meant that Nathan and I, we were young enough, we'd already fallen asleep. We were hanging out. I spent the night at his place instead of doing what my family was doing that night. And Marty Lonsdale, his dad, and Karen, his mom, they woke us up, they shoved us outside, and they threw uh, wooden stirring sticks and pots in our hands, and they said, wake up the neighbors. And we're out there. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know this is what you're supposed to do at New Year's. We had, have, have you ever been at a friend's house and their family did something weird that your family didn't do? It was one of those moments. I'm on their corner. I can still picture it, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm make, waking up the neighbors by hitting this wooden spoon on a pot or a pan or whatever they gave me. But we're just beating the tar out of these things, shouting, Happy New Year, making noise. Nobody else in the neighborhood, by the way, was joining us. So I don't know what was going on at the Lonsdale house. It was just us waking up the neighborhood. But it was a unique moment. It's the only time I ever did it in my life. I don't, like I said, it was their tradition, not ours. Our, mine eventually, probably the next year, I looked at my parents and said, I might as well go to Knott's and have fun if, we're, if I'm going to be up at midnight. We are in a not-so-silent night moment, so I want you to think of that. Imagine if your family, kids, you don't get to do this on your own, by the way. Do not sneak out of your house tonight and wake the neighborhood up and your parents and freak them out when they, they figure out a five-year-old is snuck out of the house to wake everybody up. Don't do this this way, but I want you to think of that. Waking everybody up with as much noise as you could make because that's part of our story. That's part of the biblical account of what's going on. We've been in Luke 1 as a church last Sunday. We're in Matthew 1. That's Mary's story and Joseph's story. This is the actual birth of Christ in Luke 2, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through 20, his birth, and then what happens next to it when the whole little town of Bethlehem is not having a silent night at all. Join me in Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. This is very important. I mentioned it this morning. That's the kingly line. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The birth of Christ, the incarnation, two verses, six and seven, but it keeps going. We're not done yet. The night's not over, but the actual birth, that's it. Verse eight, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you've ever heard me talk before in our youth group, we make a big deal about the fact the Bible is not boring. There's so many other words you can describe it. If you ever read that in your head in a library voice, you have read it wrong. There's a heavenly host. So I'm going to read it again. I'm not going to shout. For the tech booth's sake, I'm not going to shout. But you need to imagine this statement with the power of an army, an army I described this morning. We won't go into as much detail, but I'll get to that again. But you need to hear it in power. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And you go back to the, the start of that, verse 1 through 7, we have the setup, there's a government that's making the people do something, stop me if you've heard that one before, it's the history of the world. The government says do this and you have to, and they often intrude, sometimes they're doing things correctly here, it's an intrusion, even though it's just counting up their people, but everybody we know is on the move. So they pile in their car, of course they didn't have cars, they make the journey to Bethlehem. It's total disruption. It's tonight, but without all the fun and the joy of Christmas. It's just the drudgery of having to do what the government said, get up and do this. And we have Jesus born in two verses with not much else happening. He ends up in a manger because there's no room for them. There's a backlash right now, by the way, if you didn't know this, it's, it's true, within academia and, and Christian circles, where people rightly are trying to understand what this means in a Middle Eastern honor and shame culture and what the family would be doing and some misunderstanding of the word for in and the fact that there really wasn't an innkeeper, no matter how many times you played that in your own version of the Christmas play when you were growing up. It's a great character for somebody to play, but it didn't exist because it's not an in that way. It's the room. There's no room for them. That is true. But if you want to deal with an honor-shame culture, there's no way the family pushes them out. But in that backlash, we've swung too far because the reality still exists. There was no room for them, though. 
Imagine your family tonight, somebody's showing up and there's a pregnant woman in your family, your household not making a space for them and a space of honor. And instead you say, head to the attic or go out in the garage. And we're not talking a nice garage conversion. We're just shoving you out there with all the cold and the boxes because you still need to understand that. If you've gotten rightly caught up in what it means to be an honor-shame culture, don't miss that they still felt the shame of this birth happening out of order in their opinion. We know the inside story that nothing funny has happened, but the family is still feeling shame, and so they shove them kind of aside to effectively the garage. It's part kitchen. It's part where they kept the animals at night so they didn't wander away, get stolen, or freeze, although it really isn't that cold where they're at. It's cool. I looked it up, by the way. If you want to know what Bethlehem is right now this week, it's 60s in the daytime and 40s at night. A little chilly for me, but not so bad if you're an animal with a fur coat on. It's not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That one got down to 21 this week. I don't want to be there. But they would shove them, or they did shove them in the garage. Usually the women would be attending to a pregnant woman that's delivering. And instead, that's not the picture. There's no room for them. The families brought them in the house, but they're still pushing them aside. So don't swing too far getting caught up in academic trends. Sometimes it's valuable to pay attention to them. But the story still points out Jesus, the king, the creator, the savior, has a quiet birth pushed off to the side. And you need to understand that. Our creator, king, and savior's birth was mostly unnoticed. There probably were animals because that's where they kept the animals at night if they brought them inside. And he's unnoticed until verse 8. This is supposed to be Matthew 2 points this out, by the way. This is supposed to be the most significant point in the history of the nation of Israel when they see the Messiah. And they know that, and the scribes tell Herod that when the Magi show up, but nobody does anything except a couple foreigners. But that's not totally accurate because we see the shepherds. They are some of my favorite characters. I talked this morning about expanding your nativity. I still am very bad about this, but we need to make a big deal out of the shepherds because they made a big deal out of Jesus. They're about the only ones that did, besides Mary and Joseph. Verse 8, well, there are actually a number of characters, Anna, Simeon, Elizabeth, Zechariah. There's a number of them, but on the night, we see the shepherds. Verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, looking at the stars, telling stories, making sure that the attack animals are not taking out their flock. They're watching over them. And then this night is like no other night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Because with the exception of Mary, just about everybody who encounters an angel is terrified. What in the world is going on? And this is when there's one angel. There's about to be an army of angels. It's about to get crazy. But they are rightly filled with fear. A spiritual being, very supernatural to them, pops out of nowhere and has a message for them. And speaks to them. And has an amazing quote in verse 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah that you're looking for. And this will be a sign for you. 
You'll know you've found him when you find this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. When you get up from here in a minute, minute, the shepherds, you're going to go find the baby, and here's how you're going to know. He's the one that's out of place, that's being swaddled in cloths. That's the Messiah that this whole nation is supposed to be looking for. The Old Testament law and the prophets have all been pointing to Christ, and you're going to be the first visitors. Not the Magi, by the way. You're going to be the first visitors. It's the shepherds. And then verse 13, suddenly and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, so picture that, possibly cherubim, possibly seraphim, I flipped that from this morning, possibly cherubim, possibly seraphim, and all the hosts, an army, like Christ says he could call upon when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, but instead chooses not to because he's going to the cross for this moment that's being prophesied that he will save the people from their sins. And the army shows up, and again, you got to read it right. Glory to God in the highest. Think of a a set of troops from Pendleton or the whole base from Vandenberg showing up in your backyard and saying this loudly. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a mega battle scene from movies. But tonight I want to look at their message, the message of the heavenly stratia. That's the word. It's host, but stratia sounds cooler. Number one, glory to God. This is what we were made for. This is what they were made for. This is what we are made for, to worship God. Glory to God. Number two, shalom, peace. This is a big word for the Jewish people. A couple years ago in our youth group, we did a t-shirt theme on this, and this was my expanded practical definition for what we call kickback. It's the camp, but kickback 2021. Shalom is enjoying peace in God's sovereignty through right relationship with him during both the good times and the hardest of times. Shalom. Glory to God, peace, but there's a qualifier. This is not universal shalom that this host of angels is talking about. It's shalom for those who trust in Christ. It's for those who follow the Messiah. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, you need to know this. There is an offer of shalom that's before you, but you only enjoy his peace if you follow him. If the shepherds had just stayed there and ignored him, like the religious leaders do with Herod, they wouldn't enjoy his shalom. But instead, and this is why I love them, verse 15 through 20 happens. They get up, they take their herds with them. They're smart businessmen. They don't want to leave their flock and lose them. They get up and they go through the city. It's not a big city, it's a small place. But if you had a bunch of shepherds out in Santa Maria and they come into town, into your neighborhood, they're going to make some noise. This is why it's not such a silent night. The baby's crying, that means it's alive, and the shepherds are on the move. They're making some noise, but here's what they do. This is why I love the shepherds. They say to themselves, let's check it out, and then they go in. It doesn't spell out that they wake everybody up, but it does say that everybody who heard what they said was amazed. They're making some noise. They end up waking everybody up and they tell them, think of that New Year's Eve pots and pans moment because if the sheep heard 
comes through, everybody's waking up. And then in the end, they worship God. Three amazing things. They go check it out. There's an offer of peace. We've got to find out who this Messiah is. And they wake everybody up and tell them what's going on. This is what we saw. We had this musical from the angels. It was pretty amazing. I know you think we're weird, but we promise it happened. And then they worship God. And like the shepherds, I would invite you to do the same. Number one, go check it out. If you have not looked into Christ, go check him out. This is who we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior, our Redeemer. Check him out. There's an offer of peace, forgiveness of sin. And if you haven't enjoyed it, wrestle with that offer of peace, shalom. You need Christ's shalom. We all do. And the second thing is, if you've wrestled with him and you're following him, worship. We are made to live for God and to sing his praises, to celebrate him on our own and with others. And we see that with the shepherds. And then the third thing, go tell some other people. Invite them to worship him as well. Invite them in to shalom that they would know their savior. Wake them up and invite them to their king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for babies crying when they're born that tells us they're alive. We thank you for family noise as we gather together and the the house gets crowded and busy and full, and it's a tough night's sleep, but in the best way possible because you hear your family in the next room over. Lord, we thank you for peace and shalom. First, that we are at peace with you through your work on the cross, but second, when we encounter the brokenness of this world, that you give us the hope of peace even in that moment. That when family gatherings aren't so good, when we wrestle because we're cold at night and there's no one around, that you are with us, our good shepherd watching over us. Lord, we thank you that you are our king, born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but our eternal reigning king who can never be moved from your throne, for it is eternal. And we praise your name. Amen.